0: So, we're going to pray. We don't need the PowerPoint to pray, so we'll let to deal with that and commit our evening to the Lord together in prayer. Just to take uh, a moment now to settle our hearts and for all the busyness of this past week to breathe in Spirit of God, help us, Lord, as we shall be discovering tonight to know what the Spirit is saying to the churches in our day, and give us the courage to follow in the direction that you lead, as we confess that each of us in varying degrees are shot through with prejudice we pray for the liberating grace and power of your love to come again you are the Lord of the ages and you are our beginning and our ending so we come to you tonight whom to know is eternal life and whom to serve is eternal perfect freedom. We place our days within your care and we say again that often, though we don't understand, we trust you for your faithfulness in the past. We thank you for your constant care right up to this moment. We praise you and For our unknown future, but known to you, we place ourselves into your keeping, and we ask that throughout tonight, as we think of this complicated book of Revelation, that it might be to us a real apocalypse, an unfolding, a revealing of your glory and your power. So would you help us as we Commit ourselves to you and entrust our worship. Lead us. We ask in the power of your spirit for Jesus' sake. Amen. Ed is going to read to us from Revelation thirty nine to thirty.
1: <coughs> Revelation chapter one, verse nine. Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Spardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive for ever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands, is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word.
0: Karl Barth, probably one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, Uh, On one occasion, when he was uh, visiting America, the prestigious uh, Westminster Seminary had an open session after he gave two lectures, and the students were to ask him questions. And one asked, "Uh, Professor Bart, what is the greatest thought that you have ever had? And he went quiet and he said, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And he said, if only I knew what to do with revelation. So what hope have we got? But we'll try to explore this together. Now, I want you to put your hand up if if it's true of you. If not, don't. Um, Many Christians who love the Bible are afraid of revelation is that true Could anybody put your hands up? yeah there's two three or the rest of you are not afraid you you don't like you don't can I ask the question again just if you are uh, if you're not afraid that's fine you how many of you are afraid of revelation two more hands no ok right I am So, you can help me. Um, In this sense, that I've been a pastor for 38 years, and I've never preached through Revelation, nor did I want to. But at least before retiring, we should do so and then move on. (laughs) So, here we go. The final book of the Bible has often been a source of uh, confusion and not a little conflict I guess we've tended to veer into either one or two unhelpful directions either making detailed charts as in my younger day that used to happen of events predicting the coming of the Lord the last times, or possibly avoiding the book altogether David, are you bringing my PowerPoint up? it's not it's not showing Rob perhaps you could ok I'll carry on and if it doesn't show that's ok but it, it would help so those are the two sort of um, uh, camps and some people have said better avoided altogether but I ask you when some of our Jehovah Witness friends who are often very serious and thoughtful people knock our door and plunder into revelation why do we stand there not saying anything to them I'm not saying why should the devil have all the best of revelation, but I'm tempted. So I want to say three things. First of all, by way of uh, introduction here. As we journey through revelation, I want us to at least agree on three things. The first is this. What is revealed is not primarily a scheme or a plan or something like that. It is about someone. From beginning to end, from start to finish, it's about someone. The babe in Bethlehem is the one who is now the sovereign Lord of the universe and ultimately everything will come under his sway. He is not a gentle Jesus whom we can have as our little pet lamb to call upon. He's the sovereign Lord whom John, as we sang, fell at his feet like a dead man. I think we're on slippery ground if we stray too often from not having that sort of encounter with this Lord. Secondly, what is revealed here is essentially a pastoral letter, that's what it is, allowing us to see the compassion of John's heart for the church, the fledgling church, which is struggling with all sorts of things, as we've looked, in those seven churches. So it's not the cleverness of his mind but his pastoral heart. If you've seen uh, the film Mandela you could picture John on the Isle of Patmos working in that stone quarry and looking out onto perhaps um, Table Island as he did or John is looking out into the area of the seven churches and thinking, how are they doing? How are they getting on? And his longing for these churches are expressed in this letter. Okay? And thirdly, third thing that we can agree on as we approach this is that what is revealed and I hope that you can, we can get into this over the next couple of weeks. And it's new ground for me, and I think it will be for all of us. Is a new way to express truth that is taught. Let me um, quote. Uh, there's a quote from uh, Eugene Peterson, who has written helpfully uh, about the Bible in many ways, and he says this: the revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. I read the revelation not to get more information but to revise my imagination. There's the quote there. Now, so I hope that's true for us. Sometimes, even as Christians, we're in information overload. It may well be a point of asking: Do we need two sermons on a Sunday and a Bible study during the week? So this isn't so that now we accumulate more knowledge, but you see it there to revive perhaps my dormant uh, imagination. Because it's a picture book. If you like books with pictures, you will love Revelation. So it brings us to the climax of course of that third point and it's this, that if it makes us just a little more in our lives, where we're at, whatever our plans, whatever age, we find ourselves young or old, that we would cry even louder, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. So those are the three things that I would hope. Uh, are true of all of us when we uh, approach this I want to do all I'm going to do now is to try to answer two questions Okay, the first is this how do we read Revelation how do we read this book and the second question this is all that the sermon is what is the apocalypse of Christ to his church what is it of the apocalypse, the revealings of Jesus to his church ok, two questions there they are and we're going to try to uh, attempt to answer, answer this, I've just got a, a question to ask you, we'll leave those up there for a moment um, somebody just try to don't be afraid to say, it's ok now then, when you think about Revelation what? Image comes to mind when you think about revelation. What image comes to mind? Or I'll repeat it. Worship, Worship? throne, sorry, picture of heaven. Picture of heaven? Any of quick. Right, God meeting our needs at the very last moment. Any others, anything more bizarre? Consequences, Consequences. thank you. Okay, any other quick ones? The battle. the battle, yes? Jesus, okay, right. So those are some sort of now lots more, aren't there? And we're going to have a look at this. So let's start then with four principles. We'll answer the first question. How do we read Revelation? Number one. Revelation is full of symbolism. That would be my answer and I quite frankly haven't got a clue about some of them. And if you have, share that. It's it's full of symbolism. Evangelicals are not good with symbolism. The 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 Protestant purgers swept away a great deal of uh, the high church and look around us. What have we got? What symbols do we have? Why should we be uncomfortable about symbols? Why is it we only light candles at Christmas? Okay, I'm being provocative Uh, and there's lots of other uh, symbols. John is writing, however, about the refusal of Christians to worship the Emperor. If Caesar is Lord and you're not prepared to confess him as Lord, you're in trouble, big trouble. Persecution is the backdrop. You will never understand revelation apart from this backdrop of the cauldron of persecution. And it may well be true that the Ephesian church is very much like the Longcrendon church, is that perhaps we are sitting at ease in Zion and we're quite comfortable. And we like it like that. I'm not praying that any of us should, should have persecution like many parts of the world. But if it comes, are we worthy of it? It's a big challenge, isn't it? And and uh, these symbols are to be, can I say this, and I've underlined it here in the note, to be understood, not visualized. Look in Revelation 12, just like we can have a flick around, we'll hear the sound of pages here. Revelation 12, here's an interesting, and I want you, don't hold back, I don't feel that you're... Um, interrupting me in flight to say if you know what this is Okay, I'll read it and then we'll see or we might stop halfway through Revelation 12 and we'll read uh, 1 to 5 thereabouts the woman and the dragon a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. That's the first sign. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon. Yesterday was St. David's day. This red dragon is not good. I know, be glad this time next Sunday to see if the dragon's flying high. We play England, but this is different to that. Okay. So there is this red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. That's why she give birth to a son, a male, who will rule all the nations With an iron scepter, and a child was snatched up to God, to his throne. And then you read on. What, what is that telling us, very quickly? Any idea? Okay. Yes. Right. So you've got Jesus being born, you think of the nativity, that's right. And the destruction of the child. and all the implications of that and it's a much bigger scene of course as we we think about it later on. Okay the point I'm making if you were now and some of you are artistic I think if you were to visualize this to me it's almost grotesque all these heads and the dragons all that sort of stuff the challenge is for us to understand it to understand it that is always the big Challenge. And if you say, what is the Spirit saying to the churches? To understand the days in which we live. It's always to understand. Not to make us clever, to make us clear so that we know about the days that we are living in. Turn to um, Luke 24, just to see how Jesus gives this uh, a, a, an example of this. Luke 24. There these resurrection appearances. don't forget we're saying the thrust of this is to understand and in luke twenty four breaking into this um, explanation that Jesus is given to these incredibly depressed and discouraged disciples, their hopes are shattered, their dreams have gone, they're going back home. it's the end of the business. and Jesus said to them verse twenty five luke twenty four how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Of course, Revelation 12 is a quotation from the prophets, the book of Daniel. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? Who wants to snatch him away? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, that's the key word, in all the scriptures concerning himself. come back to Revelation. Um, we'll go into to the second point a bit quicker this time. So Revelation is full of symbolism and we're going to try to uh, open this up in, in the course in the next couple of weeks. Revelation addresses three areas and I say this deliberately because of the way other people have handled this book. It addresses the past, the present and the future. We had a discussion in our home group, and uh, it was the thought was revelations about the past, how God has worked, but hasn't He got anything to say to us today? And has He got anything to say about the future? So you've got three classic interpretations. Now I want to suggest to you that interpretations are like keys that open up the meaning. Some see revelation as alluding to the past, the fall seed of the woman will crush his head the dragon the devil that's that reference in Revelation 12 others see the experience as the period of the church between the first coming of Jesus and the second they see it like that and still others will say no no it will all be fulfilled at the coming of Christ meanwhile just wait how do you see it How do you see this book? Well, of course, the point I'm making is that it says to us past, present and future as we shall see. God's word, in other words, speaking to every age, every generation and all the different issues that we face. Thirdly, Revelation celebrates the victory of God. If we take that with us, God, and that starts the theme. God wins. See, and that's the overall heading of Revelation. See, so what does Revelation say? It says God wins. He's in control. The Lamb wins. Hail the Lamb! Revelation celebrates the victory of God in a fallen world. And it depicts the victory between God and Satan, between the Lamb and the Dragon. What a contrast. A fiery dragon, this weak lamb, yet the lamb triumphs. The victory between the church and the world, the holy city, Jerusalem and Babylon the Great. And you get these series of contrasts. And then fourthly, and this is so important, Revelation focuses on Jesus Christ. Focuses on Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation one one. What is it? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The first three words of revelation in, in the Greek Apocalypsis Yesu Christu This is the revealing, the unfolding, the pulling back of the veil of Jesus Christ, the unveiling. So the book is supremely about the greatness and the glory of God. In Jesus Christ, look at chapter 1 and verse 17. We sang all the songs tonight, all based on Revelation. Look at verse 17, chapter 1, when I saw him. Now, don't forget, John leaned on Jesus' breast at the after supper, leaned on him, was close to him, intimate, He's the apostle of love. He knows him. And look, he's the same Jesus and the same John. What's the difference? Look at his glory. Post-resurrection ascended. When I saw him, I fell at his feet so dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and behold I'm alive forevermore. It's about Jesus Christ and in every generation this vision of Christ's power needs to be unfurled, opened up, revealed, made known. It is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Every generation this vision of Christ, his power and the certainty of his victory is the greatest need of the Church. So you have it in verse 8. Again, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The second question. What is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ his church today what is it I just want to say three things and this clears the ground for uh, further um, uh, explanation as we will go over these these weeks Um, his apocalypsis is I am speaking to my church still what we are saying is he is not a silent Christ. The second thing is this revelation of Jesus Christ I am staying with my church. I am with you for the long haul. I am not an absent Lord. And thirdly I am Searching through my church, moving among the candlesticks. I'm doing that. And I am not an indifferent Saviour. Those are three things that will help us. Let's look at the first very quickly. I am speaking to my church. Isn't this very salutary to us here tonight? Look at Revelation 1 verse 10. Twelve and fifteen. There you have it in front of you. You read this too. On the Lord's day, here we are. Here we are. The Lord's day. I was in the spirit. Are you in the spirit? Am I in the spirit? And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, "Write on a scroll." what you see and send it to the seven churches and those seven churches represent the living church of Jesus Christ today and look at this I turned we're we're thinking now he is speaking to the church look at this I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me when I turned I saw seven gold lampstands and among the lampstands or someone like the Son of Man, quote unquote. Where does that come from? Daniel.
1: Yes.
0: See, the thing is to, to make these connections. How did Jesus go through life? Introduce Himself, the Son of Man. And believe me, it's powerfully messianic. One like the Son of Man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash round his chest his head and his hair were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire I am speaking to my church and there is no mistaking the voice you he answered the phone you know it is within about people say two words Notice you get used to that. He knew who this was the voice. And his voice continues to resonate in such varied places today. I am speaking to my church. I am not silent. In varied places, in homes and schools and in the marketplace and in the city and in the sporting arena and in the prisons and in the churches. And what does he say oftentimes to us? It's very strange this, he says, fear not. Such is our world. We have a lot to be feared, fearful about oftentimes. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. in the totality of human experience don't be afraid he is not a silent Christ he is speaking to us speaking to us in trouble and in joy in health and sickness and in all the bewilderment of, of life of which sometimes we can't make sense of the things that happen to us And by the way, the last and I hope we take Jesus seriously at his words here. Yeah. Look in Revelation one seventeen and eighteen. The last and the greatest fear, the Bible says the greatest enemy of man is death itself. I am the living one. Oh verse seventeen, sorry. Uh, when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead he placed his right hand on me and said do not be afraid I'm the first and the last the living one I died and behold I'm alive forevermore as the keys of death and Hades write to the church tell them this I'm speaking to my church he is not a silent Christ secondly I am standing on staying with my church standing with us so read on Revelation 1.20 the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand are the seven gold lampstands is this the seven stars of the seven angels of the seven churches the seven lampstands the seven churches and so on and so forth and what he's saying is I'm there with you moving among the lampstands I'm not an absent landlord I am the Sovereign Lord. He is one like the Son of Man. The one who stood with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace and wasn't consumed and the one who appeared at various times before his incarnation. And why shouldn't he appear to us in his post-incarnation, post-resurrection, post-ascension, coming to us? I am staying with my church. The most frequent title that Jesus used his like the Son of Man, and it's a powerful thing, identifying that He is the Lord, and yet He's one with us in our humanity. Just flick to Daniel if you can find it. If not, just listen and I'll read it to you. This is because um, some of these quotations do help, and when you do see uh, our JW friends, this will help us. They make a lot of uh, Daniel and Revelation. Daniel seven. Um, it's no good me giving the page number, but you can't. It's okay. Daniel seven and verse nine. I was thinking about the Son of Man. I'm staying with my church. I'm with you. Okay, very quickly. I looked. Thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. The term that is used of Jesus. He's the Ancient of Days. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was, uh, was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze, a chariot of fire. Similarly, power and glory. Verse 10. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch. Because of the boastful words, the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire, the ultimate destruction of the devil. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence and was given authority glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and he will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now you see John's taking that up and giving new life to it. And we need to take the book of Revelation up and give new life to it in our day. I am staying with my church. I am not an absent Lord. And lastly, and very quickly, I am searching, and this might be a bit more uncomfortable, I guess, I am searching through my church, and I am not an indifferent saviour. Revelation one seventeen, when John saw the glorified Christ, he fell at his feet. And so to all the seven churches, um, you you will see just come back to Revelation again and very quickly look at as I said you can uh, see it. There is, there is a theme for all of them Though so they've all the different problems and different issues as often is the case yet he says this is his searching Revelation 2 7 11 17 29 3 6 and so on all the same thing and what is it? He, she, us, we who have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him, to them who overcome, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. And then there's variations of promises as we overcome. But he searches us. He's moving among us, the, the lampstand. The Holy Spirit's task often is to sift, to search, to sanctify, if you like, purge us oftentimes in that refining process. And we have many setbacks as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus, as we listen to his voice, as we enjoy his presence. And I hope we are receptive as he speaks to us and searches us. The great psalm speaks about creation It's Psalm 139 about human birth and its mystery but the climax of it is this to stop and stand in awe and say Search me, O God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts for I have many and see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting Search me And Christ is still searching through His church, refining, changing, transforming, disturbing, comforting. And all of us, as, as Hugh suggested as to one of the great themes, is caught up in our response to worship. We worship Him. Couldn't really decide on a, on a, final song or hymn It's it's tricky all these themes that come together but uh, we are going to go for this uh, uh, very well-known hymn of Thomas Binney he wrote in 1798 uh, and um, I've often thought that this is a very um, searching hymn and on that final theme we bring this to a clause. This is sort of, not so much introductory, but gives you a feel, the atmosphere, to get into the book. May I encourage you just to read through some of it and the bits you don't understand, just keep going and see if it gives you a greater imagination confirming what you already know. There it is. This is, this is a sort of a prayer really, eternal light, eternal light. How It's a sort of a rhetorical prayer, isn't it? How pure the soul must be, thinking about ourselves when I'm placed within your searching sight I shrink not but with calm delight can live and look on you or hear it say can face such majesty well let this be our prayer may I encourage you to keep uh, reading and uh, thinking and exposing your heart and mind and supremely your imagination to what the spirit is saying to the church in our day and let's trust and pray will be something that will help us to know his transforming power we say this is this is our day a day where we can experience greater awareness of his power and his presence I'm speaking to my church I'm with you I'm with you always to the end of the age I am with you and I'm continuing to search to bring the best out of you that's what he's doing and just to borrow a prayer from book of Jude to him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore Amen And may we share in the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the
1: Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.